Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 2. She's just trying to spread her wings a little bit. She'll be okay. The sound of Dolce voicing her opinion on things that didn't involve her irritated him. She came up behind him, wrapping her arms around him, as if she were his peace of mind. She wasn't that for him. That wasn't her place in his life. And the more she tried to force it, the more it turned him off. He removed her hands and turned to her. It's getting late, Ethic said. I could stay, Dolce offered. Not tonight, a'ight? I'll get up with you, Ethic said as he stared down at her. Obligation made him lift her chin and kiss her cheek. He could, practically, see her deflate from his refusal. You didn't need the comma between could and practically. Also, just tell the hoe. Like, if you don't like her, be like, hey, Shoddy, thanks for the dinner, but I'm in a place right now, literally just came back from the graveside of my uh, beloved, not feeling you. Go home. You got something stuck between your teeth. It's been there for a week, fam. That's a bad sign. Go home. Caught your underwear a few days ago. You turned them inside out like three times now. I noticed. Go home. Hey, don't you have a dog? Doesn't your dog miss you? Go home. By the way, I'm sleepy. Are you sleepy? Let's be sleepy together, but in our own houses. Go home. It's getting late. You ain't supposed to be here. Go home. Like, you just leading this girl on. It ain't gonna lead to nothing good. You... Just tell him. Go home. Hey, hey. Matter of fact, hey... Hey, you know we got a relationship? No, to go home. He wasn't trying to hurt her feelings. That wasn't his intentions. But giving her more than casual sex wasn't an option. And tonight he wasn't even beat for that. I don't want anything from you. I just want bang, bang, bang. I don't want relationship. I just want bang, bang, bang. You can't tell somebody that you ain't feeling them if you fucking them. I mean, I guess you could if you told them that this is just casual sex, if you actually made that known. But I doubt you did because you've only got one ethic. He was a man conflicted, scarred, burned by emotion he couldn't seem to get a grip on. To a man that was used to being in control, his current state made him feel weak. I got to get my mind right, he thought. Dolce's eyes were pleading with him her body language begging him to take out his angst within the heaven between her legs. Women were equipped with superpowers in that way. Remember, this was written by a woman. Within her opening light bliss, and Dolce was offering it the ethic without uttering a word. He had never missed a sign from a woman, and Dolce was giving him the green light to fuck his problems away. A lesser man would have taken her up on the offer, but ethic just wanted to breathe. He walked over to the door and held it open as she walked out. She turned sharply, huffing in angst as she pointed a warning finger in his face. One day, you're going to look up and I'm going to be gone, which is what he wants, but he won't tell you that because he has no, no mothers. Honestly, just tell her, look, hey, your pussy is great. 
It is fantastic. But your face, your voice, your attitude, your demeanor, your breath, that thing still between your teeth, your underwear issue, your hair, your earwax, the thing hanging out your nose, that is not a septum. I know that. Don't play with me. You got to go. But no, when she turned around and says, you're going to lose me one day, he should be like, good. Bye. But nope. He said instead, I know. Simply. He closed the door. The weight of the world was too heavy for one man to carry. He thought about the things he had done, the lives he had taken, the poison he had pumped into the veins of his community. I love how they think about it once they're done doing it. Niggas think about what they brought to the dope game after they rich. Carter thought about what he did to the dope game after he was rich. Nigga, it's your fault. And he couldn't help but think his loneliness was his karma. Ethic believed that God made man and woman in pairs. The reward for a good life lived was to meet that soul that was intended to be your mate. A soul mate. Mm. The consequence for a life squander was what he was living through now. To find an amazing woman, not once, not even twice, but three times, and to lose them all was nothing short of punishment. Ethic had struck out, and now he had to navigate through parenting a teenage girl and his own two children alone. She put a comma between own and two children. At first, I thought Jaquavis was stupid. I thought it was that nigga. I guess I shouldn't say he's stupid. He's smart enough to write a book. But they ain't smart enough to hire me as an editor, so here we are. Oops, pal, surprise. Also, three. Three women. I know that there was Raven. And then there was not Raven. That's Isabella's mom. Is Dolce the third? Are you pushing her away on purpose? He wanted to go upstairs and talk to Morgan about her behavior. Perhaps punish her for being reckless, but he didn't know how. She reminded him so much of Raven that it hurt to watch her grow. It angered him that she was slipping down the same slippery slope that had destroyed her sister. We just love commas. We fucking up these commas. You are literally a future song. His head wasn't right at the moment. I'll address it tomorrow, he thought, when I cool down. He peeped in on his sleeping young ones and stood outside Morgan's room. He grabbed the handle on her door, but halted, knowing the space was needed tonight for them both. Because you told her in the last chapter, I'll talk to you in the morning. You know, with her being deaf, it will probably be startling for you to just burst into her door. Burst into her room when you said you talked to her in the morning. She might be asleep. <sighs> she could be mad all she wants, as long as she's home and she's safe, he thought. He had won the small battle. He would handle the war in the morning. Ethic descended the steps to his home until he reached the lowest level of his three-story home. What? Ethic descended the steps to his home until he reached the lowest level of his three-story home. What? Ethic descended the steps of his home until he got to the bottom of his house. Ethic descended the steps of his domicile until he got to the bottom of his three-story abode. None of these work. Like, they're all redundant. I'm just making fun of you in ways that I know are good for me. It's where he went when he needed to remove himself, when he wanted to unplug from being a father, a gangster, a mentor, when he just wanted to be human. When he wanted to be the man that he would have been had the streets not made him a beast, he went down there. It was a sanctuary, and no one else was allowed to disturb the energy in that space. Plus, all your kids are fucking sleep. Kids don't give a fuck about your rules. These niggas is like, what, three and six? They fuck you. You can't even sit on the toilet without one of them sitting outside like, it stinks. What you doing out there waiting on you? Why are you waiting on me? I threw up. Fuck. Why you throw up? Because of that smell. It stinks in there. I wasn't talking about your room. I wasn't talking about the bathroom. Um, my, my brother peed the bed. Fuck. You can't get away from kids. So for you to say that this is your sanctuary and no one else can come into, yeah, fucking right. The fuck out my face.
He pulled off his shirt, his temple of a body looking like nothing less than a work of art. Each tattoo on his dark skin symbolized significance in his life and told a story of a boy who had navigated his way to manhood alone. It also told a story of all the tattoo parlors who wouldn't take him in because, you know, ink doesn't show up well on dark skin. I can't do colors on, on, on that skin. You know how I know that? Because I watched enough um, Ink Master to know the motherfuckers be racist as shit when it comes to doing black skin tattoos. Oh no, that won't show up good. Nigga, it's white! He was life's exhibit of survival. The epitome of what this world did to black boys. Turning them into men too soon. And then getting upset when these men, whom didn't know themselves, whom didn't know themselves, lacked maturity. Grown men who were still boys inside broke things because they themselves were broken. Rules. Hearts. Men like Ethic were just prone to breaking shit, but they had no idea how to repair themselves when the shoe was on the other foot. Message. He pulled out a gym mat and stepped out of his pants before reaching into a drawer and pulling out a pair of Nike athletic tights. The fabric fit his muscular legs like a second pair of skin. He remained shirtless and then removed his socks before stepping up to the mat. Meditation was a thing that stopped him from pulling triggers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He does the downward dog so he doesn't pop off at you. He does yoga so then he doesn't go off on anybody. He literally does the child's pose so he doesn't kill your child, okay? He could either ohm or he can do, 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 you, you know, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, high five. It had taken him years to figure out that his gun was only to be used when every other alternative had been exhausted. So in those years, he probably killed like 10 niggas. He would lay a nigga to rest should the need occur. He was made up 100% G, and at times, gunplay was necessary. But only self-control could help him make the decision. Yoga and meditation taught him to always have complete autonomy over his mind. Love had fucked that all up, because no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't stop the pain he felt. Love had made him susceptible to weakness, and he had to get a handle on that shit. He reached over his head, making a temple with his fingers as he looked towards the ceiling. Every muscle on his exposed chest flexed as he began his routine. His strong core held him up as he moved fluidly through difficult poses as he cleared his mind and pushed his body to the limit. Sweat glistened on his dark skin as he controlled his breathing. Yep, I know Ashley wrote this shit. You know how I know Ashley wrote this shit and that Jaquavis wrote the entirety of the fucking cartel? Because when I was reading the cartel, I remember there was a point where I was talking about how all they do is describe the women. What they're wearing, what they look like, the voluptuous asses, like the whole nine yards. Every time you saw a woman, they were being described in some way. She's describing the fuck out this dude. Sweat glistening all over his body. He, his core was just so tight as he flexed to the ceiling. He was all G. He was every muscle on his, on his exposed chest flexed as his nipples hardened as the cold sweat hit his skin and rolled down to the V on his stomach. He was a man, all man, a man. There's a difference, and it's noticeable. I notice. It's okay. Plus this. His stamina was endless. <laughs> and as he went through his hour-long ritual with ease, ending up on the floor with his eyes closed and legs crossed, he was breathing deeply. His blood pumped wildly, reminding him that he was alive. The pain told him he was alive, and that this feeling he had was a part of living. The pain told him he was alive and that this pain was part of living the life that you live alive. The pain told him that he was alive and that this feeling he had was a part of living, a part of being privileged to be six feet above ground. 
As he stood and grabbed the towel to wipe away his sweat, he told himself if he couldn't shake the feeling, he would learn from it and make sure that he never felt it again. As he cut out the lights and ascended the stairs, he shut off his heart. Ethic flipped the switch that allowed him to love, allowed him to hurt, allowed him to live. He went back into a shell, promising himself that he wouldn't expose himself again. Sometimes I promise me that I won't tell me anything. Sitting at the window seat, staring out over the sprawling green lawn, Morgan fell a Rapunzel, trapped in a tower and dying to be free. No one understood her. How could they? No one knew what it was like to walk through a world without fully experiencing it. They had no idea how loud things got inside her head. Morgan hated that she wanted to be accepted by the same people she despised. She hated them for their superficiality, hated them for being so normal, and for not appreciating the blessing that came with being able. Able to hear. Able to just exist without people feeling awkward around them. Morgan always felt like she was under a microscope. Curious eyes gawked in surprise, wondering how she could be so beautiful, yet be so flawed. People always stared, so Morgan put on a show, acting out, frustrated with people and their judgments. No one understood her, not even ethic, and although he tried his best to make her feel loved, she simply felt like she didn't belong. She wasn't his daughter. Her family was gone, and she didn't quite fit in in anyone else's life. Nobody accepted her like her family had. When they were alive, she barely even realized she was different than anyone else around her. They made her feel secure. But as soon as they went in the grave, all her insecurities surfaced. Did, did they know sign language? Was that how? What? What? Somebody had to teach her sign language, like, right? So hopefully they all learned together. She picked up the phone and looked at Messiah's number. She stored it in her contacts before tossing the phone to the bed. She wished she could call him. If she had a voice, she would. She desperately wanted to belong to someone, not out of obligation the way Ethic had inherited her, but out of need, the way a man wanted a woman to be only his. She wanted someone, anyone, to choose her and to love her, flaws and all. Until she found it, she would drown the loneliness in liquor and weed to distract herself from the things she couldn't have. The rays of the sun broke through the curtains, disrupting Morgan's restless sleep. It blazed through her closed lids, illuminating her mind and forcing her to open her eyes. She dreaded the discussion that was to come. The parenting. She never really took to the idea of anyone disciplining her, because that was the job of the people who made her. Ethic had not. Therefore, his concerns seemed manufactured. He's just going through the motions. Nobody gives a fuck about a kid that doesn't belong to them, she thought. She was just waiting for her 18th birthday to come around. She had already graduated high school. She would break out and never look back, even if she had to leave with just the clothes on her back. Morgan was itching to live life by her own rules. She climbed out of bed and sauntered downstairs. Smeared mascara and remnants of last night's ruby woo still stained her face. Mo Money, Bella signed, calling Morgan by the nickname that she had since they were kids. Morgan smiled. She had a special place in her heart for Bella. She took a seat at the dining room table and took a fork to Bella's plate. Is that my shirt, Bella? Morgan signed. Ethic had made sure everyone living under their roof had learned sign language so that they could communicate with one another. Well done. Okay, cool. I was wondering about that. So, good. The fact that a 12-year-old can fit it means you shouldn't have it on, Ethic interrupted. He didn't sign because he knew Morgan was zeroed in on him anticipating his parental wrath. Ha ha, Morgan signed. So, what's my punishment for last night? Ethic's face was serious. He was always so stern, as if he were in a constant state of deep contemplation. She was prepared for him to lock her in her room forever, but to his surprise, he said, Let's wash it, aight? I haven't been as focused on you or them like I should, so I'm partly to blame. I need you to move smarter, though. I don't want you in the city, you hear me? I need you to understand who you are. He made it sound like she was a porcelain doll that would break if handled too much. She wasn't looking for a fight, however, so she simply nodded. I'm lucky he didn't take my car, she thought. Oh shit, my car, she remembered, realized she had left it in the parking lot of the club. She didn't want to bring it up. 
She didn't need to give Ethic any more incentive to reprimand her. Your birthday's coming up, Ethic said. You're not canceling my party, Morgan signed. Of course not, Ethic replied. Your father threw you a party every year. I still remember when I met you and Raven at your sixth birthday celebration. You were the prettiest girl in the room. Benjamin was proud of you. He was proud of Raven. He introduced the two of you, as if he had his own personal angels. I wouldn't break that tradition. I know what it means to you, and what it meant to him. Morgan nodded and blinked away tears, as she noticed the lights flicker in the house. Every inch of Ethic's home had been tailored to fit Morgan's handicap, including the doorbell. They don't like calling it a handicap. A twinge of guilt rushed over her, as she realized how much Ethic had truly done for her over the years. He may not have been her father, but he was the closest thing she had to one. His love for her was forgiving, just like her father's had been for her sister, Raven. Thank you, she signed. I'll get the door. She pulled open the door in haste and was shocked when Messiah stood in front of her. His dreads were pulled half up off his face and the back hung shoulder length. Was that a smile, she thought, as she noticed a change in his disposition. It was so slight that she questioned if she had imagined it. His style was always so effortless. Morgan hated the guys from around the way who flaunted everything they had all at once. There was nothing gaudy about Messiah. His effortless cool drew her in. He knew he was paid. He didn't have to prove it, so he kept his style simple, with jeans, a v-neck, and a leather vest. The Rolex on his wrist was all the accessory he needed. No chains, no earrings, just Messiah and the condescending smirk that he seemed to reserve for her. She didn't know if he found her amusing or if he found her intriguing. Once again, describing the guy. He held up the key to her car. Ethic here? He asked. She moved to the side as he eased by her, brushing by her arrogantly. He had no idea what he did to her. Her youth made what she felt for him so intense. When she was around him, the air felt too thick to breathe. His cologne, Creed, she thought, hugged her as he passed, and she had to grab the door frame. He made her knees weak, without even trying, without even noticing. He's so fucking arrogant, she thought. What's up, big homie? Messiah greeted. My people took me to pick up the car and I drove it here. I didn't want to bring nobody out to your spot. I know how you are when it comes to shit like that. You think you could run me back to the crib? Morgan can drop you, Ethic said. Messiah turned to Morgan. Drop me off the crib? He asked. Morgan nodded before leading the way outside. She almost forgot that she had just rolled out of bed. She climbed to the passenger side of the car and cringed as she glanced at her reflection in the visor mirror. As Messiah walked around to the driver's side, she hurriedly licked her fingers to try and slick down the edges of her hair, and then wiped her eyes with the sleeve of her shirt to remove the day-old cosmetics that now resemble clown makeup. She was sure her breath smelled like corn chips, at least it tasted like it, and she sighed in frustration. He had to pull up on me looking this good and smelling this good. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here looking crazy, she thought, mortified. When he lowered into the seat, she snapped the sun visor shut. Young girls worried about the most trivial things, and Morgan was no different. She was damn near holding her breath to make sure he didn't smell her funk. Morgan wondered what he was thinking behind his brooding stare. He didn't speak, so neither did she, even though she desperately wanted to rehash the events that happened the night before. He had paid her more attention than she had ever seen him pay anyone. He had opened up to her. She had felt it. Or am I tripping? He's sitting here like I don't even exist. It didn't help that he couldn't sign and she couldn't speak. It was like the sun had come up and exposed all the reasons why she could never have him. She desperately wanted to go back to the dark, where it was safe to let her inhibitions go. In the dark, it had felt possible the Messiah would want a girl like her. The silence was killing her, but she refused to beg him for his attention. She didn't want to seem pressed. So she settled into her seat and watched block after block pass them by. With every mile they drove, she felt the opportunity to be in his space dwindling. When they pulled up to a modest two-story home on the north side, she noticed a girl waiting patiently for him as she leaned against his car. Morgan turned up her nose as jealousy seared her. 
The girl's beauty was typical. Fat ass, slim waist, long weave, so on trend. There was nothing original about her. Old build a bear ass bitch. <laughs> Old build a bear ass bitch, Morgan thought as she rolled her eyes, making no attempt to fix her face. Morgan knew that she was hating. The girl was exactly the type that she would have expected Messiah to be attracted to. He probably had a collection of them that he alternated each day of the week. Morgan wanted to be the one he called on Sunday. His family. The one who dragged him to church to balance his sins and then fucked him on the same table they ate Sunday dinner on. A man gave his Sunday to the woman he loved. That's why this thirst bucket is here on a Wednesday, old hump day ass bitch. Morgan thought. She chuckled at that with my hating ass. Damn, why couldn't God give me an ass like that? Messiah put the car in park and then climbed out. Morgan followed suit as a bobblehead girl with the weed bounced over to the car. Hey, babe, she cooed. Morgan almost gagged. She was so sick. She knew the girl was putting on stake and claim as she wrapped her arms around Messiah's neck and planted a deep kiss on his lips. He pulled back slightly, not one for public affection. He rubbed his lips with his thumb before licking his lips. He turned to Morgan. Uh, Morgan, this is Shayna. Shayna, this is Morgan. Morgan waved, and the girl returned with a dry, Hey. Thanks for the drop-off, Messiah said. Thank you for getting my car, she signed. Car? Messiah asked as he mimicked her signs. She nodded with a meek smile. She noticed she always had his full attention when she signed. She appreciated the effort he put into understanding her. Aww, she's deaf, right? That's Benny Atkins' daughter. I used to know her sister. Well, not know her, but I used to see her around. Everybody used to want to be like Raven Atkins back in the day, the girl said, reminiscing. Morgan was over this girl. She had just confirmed her groupie status. She was a hanger-on, and Morgan had no interest in entertaining the conversation further. Morgan frowned and lifted her hand as she looked at Messiah as if to say, Who's this bitch? His smirk returned. Give me a minute. I'll meet you inside, Messiah said as he passed the girl his keys. When she disappeared inside, he turned to Morgan. I'll see you around, he said. No more hole-in-the-wall club, shorty. That ain't for you. She nodded as she headed back to her car. She was livid that she was the one he was seeing off. Meanwhile, a lesser woman was waiting for him inside the home. Knowing that Messiah was off limits to her, she got into her car without looking back before pulling away. Morgan Atkins was a princess. Throne, crowned, the whole nine yards. Her 18th birthday celebration proved exactly how much love her family had around town. Ethic had spared no expense, renting out a mansion on the outskirts of town. He had given her a real-life castle for the day. Morgan did nothing ordinary. Her event was like a local Met Gala, with formal attire required and all. Waiters walked around with hors d'oeuvres and champagne for the guests who were of age. A full spread was available in the kitchen. Lobster and crab, specially prepared by a five-star chef, had been flown in from Maine. The all-white ballroom theme was something out of a fairy tale, and Morgan looked like royalty. Her ricotta gown was ripped straight out of a runway, short and sexy, a sheer overlay dragged behind her when she walked. Her braids, along with the gold beads with henna tattoos, gave her a unique style that only she could pull off. Her winged eyeliner gave her a Cleopatra, Nefertiti, or some other Black Queen vibe. She was their equal because Morgan was just an effortlessly gorgeous human being. No comma was necessary there. Morgan was one of the pretty people, just as her sister had been, just as their mother had been. She came from a long line of inherited beauty. This is crazy, Nietzsche said as she posed for the cameraman who kept the bowls flashing as Morgan's guest walked the red carpet and took pictures in front of a step and repeat. Morgan and Nietzsche posed for over an hour before moving inside where a huge crowd was congregating in the great room. Morgan looked around in amazement. Ethic hugged the corner of the room, clad in a simple black Tom Ford suit with Dolce gleefully on his arm. Anyone who was anyone and lived on the north side was present. From Morgan's age to ethics, 
it was a turnout of epic proportions. The city's biggest DJ kept the atmosphere jovial. Morgan was delighted. Ethic had pulled off the celebration for her every year to honor the tradition that her father had started. But this year, he had outdone himself. She felt slightly guilty for giving him a hard time. Morgan knew that her growing pains caused him great concern, but she just wanted to live life fully without the childish rules Ethic smothered her with. She smiled as guests greeted her, but when he walked through the door, her face fell in disappointment. She had been silently searching the crowd, discreetly looking for him, hoping to drift through a walk of his cologne, but she hadn't seen him. Yes, those are all commas. Let me do that again. Now that you know that those are all commas, and we're going to see this. She had been silently searching the crowd, discreetly looking for him, hoping to drift through a walk of his cologne, but she hadn't seen him. She had been looking for him silently, but she couldn't find him. You know when you're in like fifth grade and they make that long ass sentence and they're like shorten this down, boom. Whoop, there it is. Stayed out by myself all night on the block. No help. Watch my own back. No sleep. No dose. Selling crack. You want to go night night? Like that's what it sounds like. He brought that tacky beauty supply store weave buying ass bitch to my party, she thought. Where, where the fuck else can you buy weave? Is there... A place you can buy weave other than a beauty supply store? Are y'all getting it fresh off the bitch's back? Like, what are we doing here? And when I say I don't mean a woman, I mean literally a horse. Because we used to be like, any weave in the house? Give that horsey back his hair. You know, that's a Hawaiian silky. Break. Anyhow. She felt like a brat as she balled her fist at her side. Morgan could have thrown a tantrum on the spot, but instead... She took a deep breath to qualm the sick feeling that was invading her stomach as they approached. There go your boy, Niche signed. His girlfriend is cute. Cheap dress, but she's straight. Morgan and Niche went back to elementary school. While other girls used secret codes like Pig Latin, Niche and Morgan talked shit using sign language. They were their own little club and had remained close throughout the years. Morgan had taught Niche how to sign over the years. At that moment, she wished she hadn't taught her at all. Morgan was jealous enough without Niche rubbing it in. Morgan rolled her eyes and turned to face Messiah as he came strolling in. She took him in. The navy suit he wore was so dark it almost looked black, and it was tailored to perfection, with red bottom-studded loafers accented. The Versace shirt he wore underneath was trendy, and he wore extravagant jewelry. Six diamond chains and four diamond rings on his left hand. He wore his dreads French braided and two to the back and a gold presidential on his wrist. He was intoxicating and his cologne made matters even worse. Messiah was a young man getting money and he always looked the part of a young boss. His normal understated style was put away for the occasion. He didn't care if he looked like new money. It all spent the same. He carried a small box that had been beautifully wrapped and handed it to Morgan. Happy birthday, beautiful, he greeted. Morgan took the gift and gave him a short smile. At least he showed up. He could have skipped it altogether, she thought. Thank you, she signed. Ethic walked up and greeted Messiah. Your young gunners outside? Ethic asked, getting straight to business. Just because there was a reason to celebrate didn't mean he would drop his guard. Ethic would never put himself in a position to be caught slipping. He had to make sure the party was safe and that every guest who walked through the door was weapons free. Every guest, except himself and Messiah, that is. Yeah, my nigga's on it. We're good, Messiah concurred. He slapped hands with Ethic, who then eased back into his corner, allowing the flow of the party to resume. I'ma see you before I leave out of here, alright? I hope you like the gift, Messiah said. Morgan nodded as she watched him walk away with another girl on his arm. Do you know the stupidest song in all of club music? It's that song um, where the girl dances with the dude one time at the club. And then he goes to dance with somebody else. 
and she literally stalks him through the rest of the song talking about let the music play he won't get away once the music ends he'll come back to you again you know that song because they dance one dance and she was like and then he left to dance somebody else and she was heartbroken and she was following him all over the club nobody thinks about it like that but me i guess she didn't feel much like partying after that but she put on a smile as the night thrived and everyone had a good time Morgan couldn't quite fix her mood not with Messiah sitting across the room with this date in his lap they were whispering and the girl smiled as if Messiah was telling her the best joke in the world nigga ain't even funny goofy bitch just being extra Morgan thought she hated that Messiah had reduced her to a hater truth was Shayna was gorgeous and Morgan knew it she had that grown woman feel that made Morgan feel as if she was simply a little girl with a school age crush she dug into her phone and retrieved her cell phone as she stormed away from the crowd. She was sick, literally. She felt like she was going to throw up. Messiah was too close to her to be so distant, and she hated the fact that someone else was making him look good. Morgan retreated to the restroom, and she locked the door as she exhaled. She clicked on Messiah's number, her finger stabbing the screen of her phone as she sent him a text. Yes! Text messages! I haven't gotten a chance to do this since fuckboy blues! Let's go. Morgan, why are you ignoring me? Messiah, I'm not ignoring you, shorty. I see you. Clearly. Morgan, you act like the night on the lake didn't happen. Like you didn't feel it. Messiah, it's not the time or place for that conversation. Where are you? Just come out and enjoy your party. People are looking for you. Morgan, how am I supposed to enjoy anything with that bitch smiling all in your face? I hate that she's here with you. I hate her, period. Messiah, hate is a strong word, shorty. LOL. You should say it for more appropriate things. Like broccoli. Morgan smiled at that and shook her head. Morgan, I felt something that night, Messiah. Something real. Messiah, just drop it. We both know the rules. You're young, and I know what you think you feel, but... Morgan clasped the phone as she waited for Messiah to finish his text. He was brushing her off, dismissing their chemistry, as if she were too childish to distinguish real from fake. Morgan's pride was injured. Messiah, I can't, Mo. Off principle. It ain't right. I'm out. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Didn't mean to ruin the vibe. Morgan rushed out the restroom. She wanted to stop him from leaving, knowing that she didn't really want him to go. But by the time she emerged from her hiding spot, he was already out the door. Ethic watched Morgan from afar, amazed at how quickly the years had passed. When he had first gotten custody of her, she was just a little girl. He had tried his hardest to replace the family she had lost. And although it was a cheap substitute, he hoped Morgan knew that he loved her like she was his very own. She had blossomed to a beautiful young woman, and he knew that he tended to hold on too tightly, but it was out of fear. He knew that all the glitter wasn't gold. He didn't want her to learn that lesson the hard way, so he was overprotective, not just with Morgan, but with Bella and Easy as well. They were his world, and he would do anything to keep them out of harm's way. You've done her father a real service, Ethic, Dolce whispered in his ear. Not many men would have stepped up to take care of her the way you have. You should be proud. I just worry. I see a lot of her sister in her. She wants to move too fast and I'm trying to get her to pump her brakes, Ethic admitted. She's not her sister, Dolce reminded him. And if you would let go of the past, maybe you could come forward and appreciate a good woman that's right in front of you. What the fuck does that have to do with Morgan? Like, what? What? That's like me talking to a woman and the woman is talking about how she, you know, how we start off by talking about how the woman had adopted her uh, ex-boyfriend's little sister. And she's like, yeah, um, I've just been trying to make sure that um, she doesn't move too fast. I'm trying to, you know, get her to pump her brakes. And I worry about her all the time because she's so young, but she thinks she's older than she really is. And it's up to me to stop her. And I'm like, well... She's not your sister. She, she's not her sister. You know? You know? She's not her sister. And sometimes you just got to figure out what that mouth do. Because you got a guy standing right next to you who's got something for your mouth. 
What the fuck does that have to do with him and, and Morgan? Like, where's the connection in that? Um, I just worry. I see a lot of her sister in her. She wants to move too fast, and I'm trying to get her to pump the brakes. She's not her sister, Dolce reminded her, reminded him. And if you will let go of the past, maybe you can move forward and appreciate a good woman that's right in front of you. Those two things have no fucking correlation. None. I would have looked at her like my wife and I, my beloved wife Nisha and I, have been married for umpteen years. Literally 16 years now. We're at the point now where sometimes she says some shit and I just go slack jaw and just stare at her. Silently. Just goggle eyed, slack jaw. Like, where the fuck did that come from? This statement was so out of right field that I would have waited for her to start walking and then went in the opposite direction. And being like, security, keep her away from me. She dumb, dumb. And on top of all that, Dolce's voice was laced in resentment. He had wounded her. What the fuck? How? How? Who? Who? What? How? Where did this happen? How did you get wounded? He was talking about the girl, and you're talking about her sister, and now your feelings are hurt. Where they do that at, Bob? I don't understand where you're coming from, Big Bob. You gotta slow it down for me. What? I I, I kicked you out yesterday when you wanted to fuck. I didn't want to fuck you. Why would I want to listen to you? You're literally, like, you're tripping. You're tripping so much in this book that you're literally the only I gotta be honest with y'all so far this book's fucking boring okay I appreciate the deaf uh, the, the way that they treat the deaf culture and things of that nature but that doesn't make this shit smell any better it's a boring ass book so far so I have to make sure that I take care of things like making fun of all the fucking commas and making fun of Dolce for opening up her mouth and showing herself to just be a selfish ass goober. That's what I have to do. So when she's hurt because of something that she said, remind me when she's not around to tell y'all a story about me and my wife. That's all I'm gonna say. She had been in the picture before he ever loved Raven and he had cast her aside to love other women over the years. Hurting her was never his intention. He was always honest about where they stood, but somehow she always ended up expecting more. Then that's a her thing. She walked away, and he could tell by the way she threw her hips with a mission from side to side that she was filled with attitude and anger. Ethic side. Throw those hips from side to side. You must want me to come and ride, but I know you're mad. I can see your face. But your anger is fucking displaced. Like, I didn't do shit. You know what the best feeling in the world is sometimes? It's when you know you ain't do shit. What you mad for? I ain't even do shit. I ain't even do it. And then they find out you really didn't do it. And they don't say nothing. Okay, I'm going to tell you all the story now. It's about my wife and me. Okay, so I smoke meat. I don't smoke. I smoke meat. And sometimes the best smell in the world is a smoke when it gets on your clothes. But that's neither here nor there. I smoke meat. And because I can, I have my smokers in my garage. So it's like a smokehouse. It's dope. Anyhow, the smoker is so potent. The smoke is so potent that it has changed the color of our outside, our garage door that attaches to the side of the house. And so it rained a couple weeks ago. It rained really bad, like a week's worth of flooding. And the rain was so bad that it caused the wood of the door frame to swell up. And my wife came home and I had opened up the door because I couldn't. And then I found I couldn't close it back up because the door frame had swollen up. And she blamed the smoke for the door frame swelling up. And I said, that's fucking impossible. I said, it's clearly from the rain causing the, the, the wood to swell up. And as soon as it dries out, it'll be able to go back in again. And she was mad and she huffed off and she stomped off and everything. And I looked at her like, wait, what just happened? Because she blamed me and my smoker for breaking the door, which it wasn't broken. The door is now closed because it stopped raining and the door jam dried out and stopped being swollen. So right now, nigga, in front of everybody, 
apologize. That door is closed? That door is closed. It must have just closed today. No, nigga. I closed it like three days ago. I I put that on my mama. I closed it like three days ago, my nigga. Cap. No cap. That's cap. It is not cap. Straight cap. Not cap. It is because I would pull into the driveway open the garage and I know that shit was flapping the other day. When? The other day. Nigga, when's the last time you left the house? The other day. The other day. Nigga, the door's been closed since at least today is Wednesday. It's been closed since at least Sunday. No. Yes. Negative. Yes, no cap. So, in front of everybody right now, apologize. What am I apologizing for? For yelling at me for thinking that you that I broke the door and shit. Oh, and say it loud enough for it to reach the microphone. I didn't say that you broke the door. You said the smoke broke the door. I said yes, that the heat, not the smoke, bruh. Like, it wasn't the smoke. But I'm glad that the door is closed. Yeah, let's close the door on this whole thing. Go ahead and apologize. I'm glad that the door is closed. I'm glad the door is closed too. Let's close the door on this conversation so we can hug this out. Apologize. I mean, the door is closed. You just said the door is closed. Yeah, but this conversation is not closed yet. The thing that's going to be the cap on this conversation is when you apologize. Apologize. Yes, apologize. Apologize. Yes, you. It ain't too late too late to apologize? Nope. It's too late. Nope. <laughs> you know what, baby? I love you. For you. And your listeners. I'm glad that the circumstances which caused the door <laughs> 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 has resolved. And that the door is now closed. Whatever those circumstances were, were undetermined. (laughs) Nigga, no, they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that it has been resolved. It has been resolved. Thank you. I'm glad the door is closed and we have closed this conversation. All you have to do is apologize. Apologize for what, though? For getting on my fucking case about the door. Why? Like, you didn't even give me a heads up. I came home and that shit was flat, flat, flat. So what? I told you exactly what was going on. I told you exactly how I was going to fix it. And it got fixed. And I apologize. But you didn't even do anything to fix it. I was just patient, which you weren't. Now apologize. Apologize. There's nothing to apologize for. Yes, it was. You literally flew off the handle at me. You said I was stupid and I couldn't read I good. Did. <laughs> <laughs> I would never make fun of your reading. I love to hear your voice. Just apologize, nigga. <laughs> I really don't think there's anything for me to apologize for here. Oh, my God. If I felt that there was. I would totally put that out there. Would you though? As a Virgo. As a Virgo. I take my apologies like very seriously. Uh, And if I feel like I have done something where I need to apologize, I take accountability and I do that. mm, And in this instance, mm -hmm. I don't feel that I did anything to warrant an apology right right if it would make you feel better no fuck you and the if it'll make you feel better you punk goober okay well then there like it won't make you feel better for me that offer oh go fuck yourself there really isn't a need for me to apologize so we could just end it on i'm glad that the situation has been resolved and we can move (laughs) forward in love and light Did you just close this out with love and light? Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, my beloved wife, Nisha. So, let me translate that to y'all. 
because that was Virgo speak. She telling me she doing wrong. She's aware of it, but yeah, fucking Virgos. Anyhow, shout out to my Virgo brother. He doesn't listen to the fucking show. Why are you denigrating him like that? He doesn't listen to the fucking show. Scar, if you listen to the fucking show, hit me up now. Okay, he doesn't listen to the fucking show. <laughs> what? As he listens to this, if he listens to it, he'll be able to hit me up now. But he doesn't fucking listen. Nikki listens. She's a Virgo. Nikki! She wouldn't have apologized either. I gotta stop fucking with her. She can't handle friends with benefits. She says she can, but her actions always speak the opposite, he thought. Ethic knew she was waiting around, hoping to get a ring by default, or even a promotion to an official title of girlfriend. But he just couldn't give that to her. That type of commitment required a connection that they just didn't share. You mean like sexual? Are you talking about my are you talking about my package? My my fuck stick? Like what kind of connection are you looking for, fam? She's literally at your birthday party in your arms. She cooks dinner for you. She pays your rent. She buys your clothes. She'll suck your dick too. And you still don't want her. What are we looking for? Like, you're just making up excuses at this juncture. Oh, look! Ethic knew it was wrong to string her along, but she was always so available to him. Even when he told her that he wasn't looking to make things serious, she still stayed. She still cooked and sucked and fucked and catered to him as if she were doing it to earn a prize. Their sexual chemistry was amazing, but in every other aspect between a man and a woman, they were flat. Ethic didn't know if his standards were just too high or if Dolce was falling short, but he couldn't give her more. He wondered if he was causing her the type of pain that plagued him. It seemed to be a cycle. People loved the ones that couldn't love them back. The ways of the world were just fucked up that way. Ethic watched as the servers brought out the magnificent cake Morgan had chosen. Her taste was over the top, but he never told her no. He granted her every wish because he knew her father would have. The crowd began to sing, and Morgan blushed she covered her face bashfully. The party was a success, but he couldn't wait to give her the gift he had purchased. He had watched Morgan overcompensate her entire life for not being able to hear. She had even deferred college, refusing to take her scholarship to Michigan State because she didn't think she could keep up. He believed that she partied and filled her life with distractions to try and be as regular as those around her. What what's what's the ideal of regular? Because in deaf culture, the idea of regular is something completely different from what your idea is, and I still feel like she's on the outside looking into the deaf culture, because really, honestly, listeners, how many deaf people do you fucking know? Like, seriously, I think I know one, and she's currently my teacher. How many deaf people do you know? Like, let me know. How many deaf people do you know in your life? It's, it's, it, it always hits me when I'm in my class, when I'm reading these books, that somewhere along the line, there is a deaf person who has never met deaf people and does not know that they're not alone and that has to be the loneliest shit in the world. But to compound that, there somewhere is a deaf person in history, a deaf person who's black, who is being taunted and prodded by white people and because their back is turned to them, they can't hear them or read their lips to understand they're in danger and horrible things happen to them. And somewhere back in history, there are white deaf people who are still profiting and, and, and utilizing slavery to push their own needs and their own nature. So I think about that sometimes. Like deaf people, the deaf culture considers themselves a minority. Okay, cool. I can see that. Y'all are literally a subculture of America. Cool. But 
some of y'all motherfuckers have family members who were deaf who still did horrible things to black folks. And some of y'all have family members who were deaf who had horrible things done to them. I always wonder, like deaf people back in the day were probably treated shitty as fuck, but they were still treated better than black folks. So like white deaf people back in like the 1800s, the 1500s, the 1300s, were y'all just like right above black people? I think about that shit sometimes. Sorry. Ethic just wanted to give her every opportunity that he could. She was striving for ordinary when he knew she was bred to be extraordinary. He had researched the experimental treatment that could restore her hearing for years. And now that she was old enough, he would give her the choice of whether she wanted her or not. Good, good, good job, Ashley. Because yes, cochlear implants is something that is very much so debated upon as to whether or not you need to get the consent of the deaf person before going forward. There's a lot of hearing people who have deaf children who immediately think, oh, I'm going to get them the cochlear implants as a baby and they're going to be just fine. You can't do that against their will. You shouldn't. You have to give them a chance to embrace this other side of their culture. That's like saying, you know what, I'm just my baby was born black and white I'm just gonna keep them away from the black family the black side of the family for their entire fucking lives you're depriving them of something they need you don't know if they're gonna need it because your privilege says you don't need it but they will need it somewhere down the line so well done with that he let her enjoy her evening sitting back in the cut watching the door cautiously and never losing sight of Morgan Around midnight, the crowd began to disperse, and she walked over to him with nothing but joy in her eyes. Her happiness made him happy. Thank you so much, Ethic, she said, throwing her arms around him and giving him a huge bear hug. You're welcome, he replied. I'm going to hang for a bit. I'll be home before it's too late. Is that cool? Morgan signed. She was 18 and technically grown, so Ethic knew she was only asking out of respect. This was a point in her life where she would begin to make her own decisions. He couldn't stop her from going out. It's not too late already, huh? He signed back. She side-eyed him and pursed her lips as he rubbed the back of his neck while shaking his head. I'm not ready for you to be grown, man. This is crazy, he said. I wanted to give you another present, but we can do all that when you get home. Go have fun with your friend. Be safe. Move smart, he reminded. She beamed a smile and rushed out with Nish. You got the bag in the car? Morgan signed. Of course, Nish replied. I'll drive while you change and then we can swap. Hurry up. I'm not trying to get there too late. The line will be out the door. Morgan smirked, knowing that she had never stood in a line a day in her life. And tonight wouldn't be any different. She had enjoyed her party. It was tradition and she didn't have the heart to tell Ethic that she had no interest in one this year. But she was ready for a real turn up. On a Saturday night, there was only one place to be. This book is boring. I just need something to happen. She needs to get kidnapped or somebody needs to get shot or something like that. Be Cut that shit out. <laughs> Sorry. She needs to get kidnapped or something needs to happen because, I mean, this is just business needs to pick up. Let me see. At the end of the first chapter, at the end of the fucking prologue of the cartel, a nigga got shot in the face and was dead in the street. A war was on. They came back in hot loogies on the nigga's uh, casket, kicked the fucking casket over, shot up the church. That was in the first chapter. The prologue in the chapter, in the, in the, in the first chapter. That was before Young Carter got up in that motherfucker. So... Where's the, where's the, maybe Ashley takes more, where's the fucking action? Maybe she takes more time to draw it out. Maybe Nigga, you still ain't apologized. Jaquette, we've been through this. You've been through this. I'm still waiting. Okay, you were saying Ashley Jaquavis. Uh-huh. Okay, be like that then. I ain't gonna apologize neither. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser. 
copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts, and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,